Watching my fellow Americans with your host, Spike Collins. Yes! Yes! I know. I know every week I do this and every week you talk like that. And I can't tell you how much it means to me. Keep clapping. How would you know that you want to be applauded, miracle, if you didn't keep applauding? Welcome to my fellow Americans. I am literally Spike Cohen. Yesterday I did, I think, probably the most inspiring interview of someone that I've ever done. And we're going to play it today, and I'm super excited about it. But first, the Liberty World lost someone absolutely incredible. Uh, uh, Steve Horowitz died uh, after a long battle with multiple myeloma. And uh, if you're a libertarian, I don't have to tell you who Steve Horowitz is. And um, we know the contributions he's made. But more importantly, he's leaving behind a very grieving family. And so uh, I just wanted to take a moment to give my condolences to the loved ones of of Steve. And uh, we lost a big uh, person in the movement. And uh, that family lost someone that was very important to them as well. So... Rest in peace, Steve, and my condolences to your family, and may your memory be a great blessing. Um, But we are going to have an incredible show, a very, very inspiring show. And of course, this is a Muddied Waters Media production. Check us out everywhere. We are on all social media platforms. We are on pretty much all 
uh, podcast. Well, we're on all podcasting platforms, almost all social media platforms, any of the ones I know of anyway. Uh, we are everywhere. We are also on anchor.fm slash muddied waters where you can see all of our, you can listen to all of our episodes and you can also leave messages for us that we will play on Tuesdays. And of course, we're available on muddywatersmedia.com. Now, be sure to like and subscribe and comment and do all the things that help our algorithm placement on social media, especially on Facebook where they've all but shadow banned us. And we want you to hit the bell on YouTube. Hit that bell. I want your phone to explode with notifications every time we go live. Give the gift of Spike today. Kids love it. This episode, of course, is brought to you by the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus, the fastest growing caucus. I didn't just say waffle related. The fastest growing caucus in the Libertarian Party and the second largest caucus. Again, I didn't say waffle related. The second largest caucus in the Libertarian Party. This is what has happened. That's a real thing. So if you want to become a member, go to the Facebook group Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus. And if you want to become an official voting member, uh, then go to uh, muddywatersmedia.com slash store and pick up a, a button or a shirt and you will officially become a voting member, which means nothing. We don't vote on anything. Waffle House Caucus, the gravy king. Cumberland Cannabis, if you'd like to buy cannabinoid products, some call that weed. If you'd like to buy that uh, in from uh, a provider in Cumberland County, Tennessee, then go to cumberlandcannabis.com. Oh, cumberlandcannabisco.com. They make viable, ethical, and effective weed. So go to cumberlandcannabisco.com. Joe Soloski. Joe Soloski is running for Pennsylvania governor. He's the key to Pennsylvania's success. And if you want to help him become the first libertarian governor ever, go to joesoloski.com. That's J-O-E-S-O-L-O-S-K-I.com. The most appropriately named sponsor we'll probably ever have, Mudwater. Mudwater is a coffee alternative for those who are just sick of coffee and want to drink something that tastes just as bad as coffee, but isn't quite as unhealthy. Actually, it's very good for you as opposed to coffee, which is not, not that great for you. But uh, it has masala chai, cacao, mushrooms, turmeric, sea salt, cinnamon, and literally nothing else. That's it. So go to muddywatersmedia.com slash mud, and you can get some today. I drink it every day, and uh, it has one-seventh of the caffeine of coffee. And by how wired I am tonight, you can see, and I have it in the morning, you can see just how much caffeine that is. For me, I don't need much caffeine. Anyway, Jack Casey, who has written these two books that I will literally never read. The Royal Green and In Silver Throned. Uh, these books are about jewelry that will kill you. Um, I guess, I don't know what they're about. Uh, but book three, Crowned by Gold, is coming out very, very soon. And if you go to theroyalgreen.com, you can buy these. I am told by many people who follow this show and who are fans of the show and who have bought these books for some reason, that they're very, very good books. So if you're into books about stabbing tools that look at you and have butterfly wings, then this is all, this is you. This is all you, playa. TheRoyalGreen.com, Jack Casey. Jonathan Reels is running for Congress, but unfortunately, he's not a real person. Well, at least the FEC doesn't think he's a real person because he hasn't quite raised enough money. He needs to raise $5,000 to be able to be real. 
Jonathan Reels, according to the federal government, or at least the Federal Election Commission, is not a real boy. So let's make him a real boy by going to Jonathan.cash. Fierce Luxury by Ashley, an online consignment shop that is has high-end bags and accessories. Um, it's based online. They carry the hottest brands like Louis Vuitton, Chanel, Gucci, and Hermes. Herm, Herm, Hermes. If you consign with them for a 30% fee, that's 20% less than most consignment stores. So that's good, I'm told. By Well, Ashley told me that, but it sounds good. Uh, you can find them online at FierceLuxuryByAshley.com and on Facebook in their exclusive group, Fierce Luxury by Ashley. Are you looking for something that will literally horrify you and make you scared to go outside or leave your room or stay in your room or open your eyes or close your eyes or turn the lights on or turn the lights off? Pretty much just have you living in a constant state of fear all the damn time. Well, you're going to want to play Adderpan. This game is horrifying. It is described as a first-person, five-night-style game featuring creepy characters, jump scares galore, and even a few Easter eggs hidden amongst the game files themselves. What this doesn't say is that the Easter eggs are filled with demons that want to kill you. If you want to live in a constant state of fear for the rest of your life, you can find Adderpan and upcoming expansions on Steam for the low, low price of $5. That leaves plenty of money for you to go seek therapy, which you will desperately need after playing Adderpan. This game is horrifying. This is a scary-ass game. If you want to be really scared, Adderpan on Steam. Only 5 bucks. That's sure. I'd, okay. Good for you. That's great. The intro and outro music to this and every episode of My Fellow Americans comes from the amazing and talented Mr. Joe Davi. That is J-O-D-A-V-I. Go check him out on his uh, Facebook page, on his band, on his SoundCloud, and you can go to his Bandcamp, joedavimusic.bandcamp.com. You can buy his entire discography. It's like 25 bucks. You're going to be so happy you did it. His new album just came out. I keep forgetting to... Re- I already listened to it, but I keep forgetting to remember what it was called. But it's good. I just listened to it. It's incredible. JoeDaviMusic.BandCamp.com. I'd like to thank Le Bleu for this delicious water that I realized I don't know why it's French. Because it's not from France. It's from the U.S. It's made in America in North Carolina. And it's not from the Le Bleu lake or river. It's purified water. I don't know why it's called Le Bleu, which I'm told means the blue. They could have just called it the blue. I don't know why they did. Why they, I assume it's just a marketing thing. Anyway, Blue Vanaka. Mm. It is good. It's good. I don't know why it's French, but it's good. Shout out to Tehran Turks' mom and him as always. Folks, this interview that I'm about to play, I, I don't have sufficient words to tell you how good it is. It's so good. I'm going to watch the entire thing again with you now because it's just that good. Dave Dahl is the founder of Dave's Killer Bread. He is a a formerly convicted felon, was in and out of prison, I think four times, he'll say in the interview. Um, And he completely turned his life around. And he's now helping other people. And that should be inspiring enough. But the things he said in this, 
that explain how and why he was able to do what he did. I don't care if you've ever gotten in trouble with the law before. I don't care what you're going through in life. You're going to get something from this. I know I did. And uh, it's still sticking with me. And I can't wait to watch it again. Let's do it. Without further ado, let's just go ahead and watch it because it was great. I'm, I'm certain that I'm going to have to pause in between to say just how amazing this is. Um, but I uh, uh, let's go ahead and start watching it now. Folks, my guest tonight is, uh, you've actually probably heard of him before, and you, you might actually uh, have uh, something he's made in your, uh, in your kitchen. Uh, he is an entrepreneur and the co-founder of Dave's Killer Bread. Um, he has an absolutely incredible story about overcoming some obstacles in his life and challenges that he went through. Uh, and we're going to talk today about how he got where he is now and, uh, and how he thinks that we can make even more improvements together so that even more people can be in a position that he is from the, the challenges that he faced. Ladies and gentlemen, my fellow Americans, please welcome to the show, Mr. Dave Dahl. Dave, thanks so much for, for coming on. Great to be here. Well, thank you. And folks, uh, this interview is pre-recorded, but I am live in the comments. So any questions that you have for me, uh, feel free. I'll be happy to uh, expound upon them because I am watching you right now, even as you're watching me, watching you. I am watching you. So Dave, before we get started, you you have an absolutely incredible story. Um, and I, I think we should probably focus on that first because the rest of our talk is going to make a lot more sense. Um to uh you know once we have this conversation you are the found one of the founders and the creator of dave's killer bread which by the way is my wife's favorite type of bread um i am uh because of dietary restrictions um i can't eat it um but my wife absolutely loves it it's we have multiple of your products in in our kitchen um but what a lot of people may not know is you didn't start as that's not where your story begins Tell us where your story begun and, and how you reached the point that you're at now. Well, uh, I was a pretty messed up kid. I, I had uh, what I realize now are mental issues, uh, depression, probably bipolar, uh, definitely manifested as bipolar later. But uh, because of that, I... You know, I came from a religious background, Seventh-day Adventist, and I rebelled against that. And uh, I ended up finding uh, a needle full of methamphetamine, which uh, pretty much changed everything for me. And, uh, I, you know, I started looking at the world totally differently. I, I, I kind of let my morals go down the drain and uh, I started stealing and... Uh, you know, various other things. I finally ended up going to prison four times. I uh, did 15 years in various places, including Massachusetts, Michigan, Wyoming, and Oregon. And uh, they were all drug-related offenses, essentially, but there was a lot of violence involved. Uh, so anyway, it was a mess. And uh, the last time, the very last time I, I did my time, about halfway through a seven and a half year sentence, I had an epiphany. And I mean, having been depressed all my life, I thought that, you know, that's just the way it was going to be. I thought my life sucks. So why wouldn't I be depressed? You know, right. right. Um, 
But in, in reality, I realized when I had my epiphany, I realized it was the other way around that I was having a hard time because I was depressed uh, and I had a bad attitude. And uh, so I went, I sort of waved the white flag uh, and asked for help from the psych services in prison. And that's kind of counterintuitive in prison. You don't really want to tell people, uh, you don't want to show weakness and stuff. So it took me a long time to get to this point. But when I did, it was very freeing. It was a change. It began to change my life. Uh, I went to uh, and got medication that helped me. Um, and then I went to school and I went to school for computer aided drafting, which I, I realized it could have been just about anything, but, uh, I really loved it, and it, I began to see a different outlook for myself. And I was 38 years old at that time, so it was kind of late in the game. But uh, it was the beginning of a new exist, a new uh, path for me. And from that point on, I I really just became very creative, and I started making things happen. That's incredible. So you are, so just to put it in perspective, I'm 39. So you were a year younger than me. You were in, in prison and you, it came, you basically had, like you said, an epiphany that you had been putting the cart before the horse. You weren't upset and depressed because of everything that was going on. It was because of your depression that led to you doing the things that put you in the position you were in. You sought out and got help. Uh, and in the midst of where a lot of people would, many people often just give up, you strived and went and asked for help and, and, and learned a skill and then and then were able to begin getting ahead. Tell us, how did that how did that go? Because you're talking about design. How did that get us to bread? I'm, I'm interested in how that transition happened there. Design is a perfect word to describe the, the entire process. You know, I realized along the way that I could design my life because I, I could design furniture. I could design... Uh, you know, machine parts and uh, houses, whatever, whatever you could conceive of. Uh, and people would bring me, they would say, here, um, here's, here's this template. In other words, something that had already been made, I would take the measurements and figure everything out about it that I could. And then I would draw it myself in 3D space. And as a solid model, and then I could uh, change it any way that I could envision. And so sometimes people had an idea of something they wanted to do that was different than what was already existing or whatever. And uh, I right. was able to do that. And plus I got from that, from that process, I learned that I could do that with just about anything, including my life. So when I, the rest of my time in prison, I had that attitude. And it was like, it was just such an eye opener. It was so exciting to be able to do this. Um, I just carried it everywhere that I went, including Dave's Killer Bread. So I got out, went to work with my family. I started at 12 bucks an hour, worth 40 hours a week. But the other hours I was, uh, I, I wasn't getting paid for the other part that I, I did, which is like 30 more hours every week of, of testing. 
And uh, so I would always start with an idea and, and figure out ways to improve it. And right. it, it's a lot of falling down, getting back up and, and such. And, but I was, I was the right guy for that, that job at that point. And I, uh, because of everything I'd been through, right. I, I just kept experimenting. I found out what's the best bread out there. Just like I would have find what, what's the best chair out there for what we're looking for. How can I make it better? Right. Well, it's designing bread. You know, and yeah, I design everything in my life. So this is, folks, here's your first lesson before we even get into the meat of what we're going to talk about. I guess we've already gotten into the meat of it. So you've applied the concepts of design where you learned to recreate structures and you looked at your own life and said, I can do that here as well. I can literally move things around and make my life look like as much as within my power, make it look like what I want it to. That is absolutely incredible. And then you applied that to bread, how to design the bread to be. That's, wow. So before we even get to that, that's, that's amazing. So you are now obviously, you, 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 you were the, uh, one of the, the founders and heads of, of Dave Killer, Dave's Killer Bread. Um, you are now, I guess for lack of a better word, kind of the brand ambassador for Dave's Killer Bread. It's you know, irrevocably tied to you and your story. Um, but when you, once you had Dave's Killer Bread, uh, for those who don't know, you also made sure that this wasn't just about redesigning your life. This was also about giving a, a, a hand up uh, to those who have been in a similar situation about you and using the company in a way to do so. Can you talk to us a little about that? Yeah, there's something there's something about having that experience that uh, I have found and other people have found is you, you want to share with other people. You want other people to have that you know, a, you start feeling like, well, this is my world. I'm going to make a contribution to this world that right. uh, makes it a better place. And I mean, I get I get excited when I meet people like that still to this day. But when it, it was a natural thing, it wasn't really um, certainly it was a marketing thing, too. But, you know, the best form of marketing is honest and real and comes from the heart. And uh, so I had an opportunity to tell my story and sell bread because of it. How great was that? You know? Um, right. so I, but, but when I put the story on the back of my, the bag, uh, back in 2005, we took it to the farmer's market. Uh, people immediately started noticing and they, they liked what I was doing. They were, it just tickled people to think that, Hey, this guy, this, this four time loser, if you will. And, here he is doing his thing now. He's doing he's doing something great. He's making bread that I love, you know. Right. And uh, people started talking about the bread everywhere. You know, word of mouth on the bread, word of mouth on the story. Uh, the story gives people hope, you know. And uh, I realized really early on that just by telling my story, I was giving back. And how how else can I do that along the way? Other things came along. Uh, you know, I started speaking to massive groups and just every day at, at one point I was just speaking, speaking, speaking to these groups and, uh, always finding something in my heart that I could give, including sometimes it was material. Sometimes it was something else. Uh, so you just, you just want, okay. So I think where you're leading that leading to is the, uh, the fact that we employed, you know, ex-felons, which 
it kind of happened by accident at first, not an accident because we had to hire a lot of people. So, you know, felons, they found out we were felon friendly at the, uh, at the, the temp service that was supplying our workers. And then they started sending us nothing but felons. I didn't like that. My idea was <laughs> yeah, send us what you got. We're going to pick the best person. If it happens to be a felon, great. Right. So right. eventually, and we, and we had some good luck. We had bad luck, just like you always have with your different uh, employees. And, you know, human resources are, are not, uh, they're not easy, you know, necessarily. But they, if you, the right person makes a huge difference in your company. So uh, an ex-felon, I knew from my own experience that there were people like me out there. And they just needed a chance. And I've, I've seen it over and over again now. When a person is ready, they can be just this amazing um, resource. And so eventually we ended up having, you know, as I think to this day, and I'm no longer with the company, but I think to this day, the, the policy is around 30% or so ex-felons. We never made it a policy. That's just the way it was, you know. So it started with you just saying, and this we can probably speak to this a little bit in, in terms of how things might be able to change in the future. Just the fact that you were willing to accept felons, not necessarily we only want felons, but we're willing to take people who have been convicted of felonies and have you know even served time in prison. Because you were probably one of very few companies that were willing to take that, they were just giving as many of their felons as they could to you because they're just trying to find work to them for them. So it kind of became a de facto uh, felon hiring policy just because you were, I presume, probably one of the few that was willing to take any, it sounds like. Probably. And we were hiring. We were growing very quickly. So uh, we had an opportunity to hire quite a few people. So uh, obviously we hired a lot of felons and that started getting attention including news stories and people, you know, I, I like to point out to other employers and things that, you know, doing the right thing for the right reasons is good, but sometimes you do it for the right reasons and it, it, it affects your bottom line in a big way. Uh, it helps your company in, in so many different ways by doing the right thing. That's awesome, man. That, and it's great that you did it. And it's great that the company, even after you having gotten out of it and sold it, that they are continuing to, to, to continue with that. Um, I'm interested in. So one of the things that I've I, when I campaigned last year, went across the country, I met a lot of people who were uh, had been in prison and were on parole or people that were on probation, people that had been in jail multiple times, all of them with the same often the same story. Uh, either a mental health or a physical health issue like chronic pain or something like that, that led them to using drugs, which led them to often committing other crimes or just going to jail for the drug use or, or sale or whatever else. And now they're in prison and all of their problems have been magnified. And so what I and, and then when they get out of prison, not only are they facing the things like um, and we can talk more about this, things like, you know, uh, bans on them being able to get. Uh, business licenses or being able to work in specific fields, just the fact that that criminal record's on there and many people not willing to hire them, uh, the fact that they can't leave the state to work or they have to spend a lot of time, uh, you know, uh, basically lobbying their 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 um, parole officer or whomever to, to allow say, them a lot to leave the There's a lot of times there's fines. I mean, myself, I had like a $45,000 bail judgment, uh, total fine that I had ended up having to pay back. 
And I, can you imagine that? You walk you know? out of prison with a with a, and, and was that with like interest accruing while you were in prison? No, no interest. Oh, okay, uh, that would have been that would have been insult to injury, wouldn't it? <laughs> Uh, no, they, they put $45,000 to the average guy getting out of prison is like, right. what? And they, they, you know, so I know that people get out with these terrible, uh, you know, weights, they weight, they have to pull around. That should not happen. Right. Right. It, it, but another big part of it is just, and I, I don't know if you experienced this, was there kind of just a stigma of, around people that knew about your record I know once you were actually doing something positive, you actually turned it around, kind of, as you said, designing your life. You actually made it a positive that, you know, I come from this, but look at what I'm doing now. But before that happened, before you were the founder of Dave's Killer Bread, when you were Dave Dahl, who just got out of prison, were you dealing with that kind of stigma just from people who just were generally looking down at you because of your record or because of what you had done? Yeah, big time. Um, Again, I was, I had some, I I did have... uh, good fortune of my mother uh even though you know we had a terrible relationship before now we we had a, a decent relationship because i'd been i turned my life around right she'd seen right, it right by the time i got out of prison she was willing to take a chance and she let me stay in her in her garage that's the only thing she had for me was her garage right but i was happy i was in my in that garage i was it was as good as i could hope for uh eventually i got a car and uh, if it hadn't been for my mother, though, I don't know where I would have stayed. Um, this is the problem that people have when they get out of prison is, you know, sometimes there's a housing opportunity that is uh, through some organization or whatever. But unless you know somebody who's willing to uh, rent to a felon, you know, it's really tough. And that that alone, the housing alone could be uh, a big tripwire for you. Uh, when you get out, as well as, you know, many other things. The stigma, as you say, even though I went back to work with my family, uh, there was a a lot of bad attitudes toward me, you know, because of where I had come from, some of the things I'd done in the past that were so, so long ago, but now there's a tendency not to forgive that, you know. Yeah. Uh, even though you do your time, you're still you still got to get out and deal with that. Um, so you got to be thick skinned, you know, and you have to, you really got to be willing. You got to be able to fall down a lot and get back up. You know. I think it's helpful for a lot of us who haven't been to prison to remember that it's possible that we may have done some of the things that the people that did go to prison have done, and the only real difference is we didn't get caught doing it. And if we can extend some grace to people who did get caught doing those things or, or maybe made worse mistakes than we made, but got caught doing it and are now trying desperately to uh, to, to fix it and, and dig out of the hole they created for themselves, um, that that would be very helpful uh, for them to be able to. Because if 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 our concern is that, well, they're you know, they're a convict and they did this bad thing, wouldn't we want them to do better as opposed to 
basically condemning them to either a life of crime or a life of living on public assistance or just ending up back in jail because they're they, they're not able to thrive ahead I, I would hope that if anything else we can we can change that stigma but you know you you talked about um, you know some of the challenges that people are facing when they're coming out they have little to no money or savings uh, and often you know big five and six figure settlements that they're having to pay you know judgments against them that they're having to pay which I mean, I'd say insult to injury, but it's actually injury to injury. You're, you're, you've already lost however many years or, yeah. or months of your life. You're coming out, and now they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, you have a, the equivalent of a mortgage or a large car loan that you have to pay off. Uh, and also, we're not going to let you work in any real high-income high, uh, field, so you're kind of screwed unless you're already rich. Um, there's often health issues that happen while they're in jail. It sounds like you were actually able to solve some of your health issues, but someone goes in there with chronic pain or chronic health issues – Prison isn't exactly known for its world-class healthcare system, um, and so they're coming out with health issues, the stigma that's that's involved, um, inability to get a loan uh, because of either bad credit or that or that that record, um, having low skills or or out of date skills, marketable skills. But what I want to avoid in our talk, and I, and I know you do as well, is that. We know that there's the side. There, there seem to be two sides to this discussion, and, and one side wants to focus on well, they did something bad, and they, you know, you do, you don't do the crime if you don't want to do the time, and I don't want to have to, you know, be exposed to these kinds of people, and sort of treating uh, convicted felons like they're a, a lesser people that that deserve whatever happens to them, even after they've done their time. But then there's other people who want to treat all felons as. I guess, victims of society who, even if they are victims of society, that, you know, there's nothing they can really do for themselves and we just need mm-hmm. to, you know, treat them like victims and give them handouts. And that's not really helpful either. There are certainly changes to the system that can be made, but I think it's really important to focus on what can happen right now, things that can happen now without any policy changes to be able to help felons get ahead. Um You've done some of this, uh, and I'd like to hear some of the things that you've done. And also, you you have an organization that you are uh, working with uh, called Constructing Hope that's doing this as well. Can you talk about what we as people who want to help those around us and what the felons themselves can be doing right now uh, to be getting ahead and to try to get past those mistakes that were made? That's a great question. It's the number one question uh that I like to think about and, and try to find solutions for. Um, because of my own experience, realizing that I kind of saw myself as a victim for 38 years, right? Which, right. you know, it's all that mentality, of course. And, and we don't want to, we don't want to, uh, you know, support that, that sort of mentality. Um, and, it'll kind of enable that mentality we want to uh, i want to to give people the opportunity to similar opportunities to what i had um in my case medication was helpful right so but i again the person the actual customer if you will the uh the inmate the the convict whatever you want to call this person uh he's got to make the change and he's got to he or she and they have to uh make that effort that is not an easy effort um at all 
it's very hard and it can be very rewarding. And you're not going to get that reward from victimhood. You're going to get right. that reward by picking yourself up and doing something about your situation. Right. So that's what I did in prison. It took me a long time to get to that point. So sometimes yeah. you realize, you know, sometimes you can you can look at a person and go, well, when is this person going to get that simple thing? That simple thing that's going to turn their life around, you know, and be willing to do the work. Uh, and you got to end up having some faith that your work will actually pay off. And you also have to learn to enjoy the process. These are all things that really matter to me still to this day. And so as a, as the individual themselves, their self, who is, uh, uh, who needs, really, it's about, you know, who are you going to blame? I mean, you got to do it yourself, right? So what we have to do as, uh, as citizens and people who care about making a difference in this, uh, this world, the way this, this world that we're talking about, we, we have to give, we have to realize and support opportunities for change. Um, I, what would I have done without computer aided drafting program in prison? I, you know, maybe I'd have figured something else out. I probably would have, right. but, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of other things available. So to me, it's, it's about education. Okay. In my case, medication, then it was education. Um, and then, uh, hard, hard work, willingness to do whatever it took. So uh, I think as a citizen, a mother, a father, an employer, whatever, wife, husband, once, once you can get that person to, to accept their responsibility, accountability, and start working towards something, right. um, what are you going to do to provide this person an opportunity that for that change? And, and to that end, we do, you know, I kind of knew instinctively or felt that, uh, when I got out of prison that, you know, from my experience, it wasn't really taxpayers that were going to change or probably not politicians either that were really going to make the big difference. Right. Uh, it had to do, it, there had to be passionate people that were going to work from passion and uh, belief. And uh, that's, that's why I do what I do, because I feel like I'm the kind of person, I'm the person who's been there. And so to that end, I have, uh, I support organizations like you, you mentioned, Constructing Hope, yeah. which is a local organization here that helps ex-felons, usually minorities, uh, but this kind of stuff could happen for everyone that gets out of prison. I would, I would hope that they have an opportunity to go and learn a trade. I learned mine in prison, but it could be happened outside of prison or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, learn a trade, something practical that can change your life, you know, that makes you a contributor. And once you let your ego go enough to realize that you're not going to get the instant gratification of crime, or drug, drug use, but right. you're going to get something out of this because there's something even better out of it by working hard. So the the organ the organization you're talking about is called constructinghope.org. 
Uh, they're based in Portland, in the Portland, Oregon area. They offer, I believe, 10 week construction and other trade uh, uh, skill development programs so that people can now go and do that work, do this, these skilled trades uh, in those in those areas uh, in, in Oregon, I guess, really anywhere that allows it. I know some states and this is part of the problem and and. In some states, they're actually not allowed to do a lot of different trades. Usually the skilled trades like construction and stuff, they allow them to do. But there are often a lot of things that they're not allowed to do. But I, I agree with you. If we're waiting for politicians to come up with a solution, A, probably never going to happen. And B, if it does, it's probably just going to be all of us as taxpayers getting robbed for yet another social program that's going to turn people into dependents of the state as opposed to thriving members of society. I think it's important to, to, to reiterate something you just said. You've said it a couple times. You went to prison because of crimes that you committed against other people. You committed those crimes against other people. Often, I, I assume, at least what it sounds like, a lot of that was very uh, influenced by drug addiction. And the reason that you had a drug addiction was because of a mental health issue. And I think... What I heard over and over again, I, I'm hearing it from you now, and I heard it over and over again going around the country. In fact, I actually I met someone when I campaigned in Portland. Uh, I it was under a, we didn't have every all the events had to be outside because of COVID um, and the lockdowns. Um, we did it under a bridge overpass in Portland, and I don't know, hundred and something people showed up. And one of them was someone who had been clean from heroin for a matter of weeks at that point. Um, and they had also, I believe, if I'm, if I'm not confusing the stories, they also had had a criminal record. Uh, and they were able to continue to get the drugs that they wanted while they were in prison. So for those who think prison is an answer to drug addiction, no, you can get the drugs in prison too. That's, that's not a problem. It, it's, but well, what, it's a that problem, started... but, it, but you, can learn, you can learn how to do it. I mean, if, that, right. if you want it that bad and you want to keep that thing going that bad, then you can do it. Then you can do it, yeah. right. Yeah. And and so but what started with him, his wasn't a mental health issue. His was a chronic pain issue. He had gotten Ooh. hurt. He needed pain pills. Uh, at some point, he reached his FDA cutoff where he couldn't have any more pain pills. He started turning to pain pills. I heard this story. I don't know how many times uh, uh, from different people. Uh, he started getting the pain pills illegally from other people where they're at least still getting a you know a scientifically tested dosage they know what they're getting and everything else and at some point they can't afford that anymore and they learn that they can just get heroin or they can just get whatever other version whatever other street version of the drug that they were taking is and now they're a full-blown drug addict and having to deal with all the consequences of that um and then they often end up in prison so there is a i guess systemic issue here as well especially once they've already been convicted but this is often something it's manifest it's it's a criminal issue but it's manifest it's 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 a manifest manifesting as a criminal issue but it's actually starting as a a chronic health or a mental health issue and it's hard enough for someone who is in the midst of that to to realize I don't have to be a victim I can as you put it recreate you know redesign my life but especially once you're now at the point of having a criminal record, being in prison or being out of prison and having that record hanging around your neck like an albatross. But at some point, and this is for all of us, whatever, whatever our status quo is right now, whatever, whatever our baseline is right now, at some point, if we want to get ahead, it starts with us looking at ourselves as, and I'm going to steal this from you, 
the designers of our lives to whatever extent we can, as opposed to the victims of, of our lives. And that's a really important thing to touch upon that I think so. begins with that. Yeah. I, I think so. I, I think it's powerful. I've, uh, when I used to speak, that's one thing I used to always talk about is uh, and yeah. compare the design of, of products that I did to designing yeah. my life. I mean, everything is like that. We can choose to our next uh, thought and our next action. You know, we can, we eventually, if you start making the right choices for your thoughts uh, and start and, and by, you know, extension, your, your actions, uh, your life changes, you know, it's so simple, right? But, um, you know, designing, you, you have to start with a template. Okay. You don't want to start with the template of, the worst person you can think of because i i you know in prison i used to think well i'm going to you know in the early years i want to be a, a good gangster i want to be you know some a respected criminal you know what i mean right 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 i used to think that i'd look up to that and I, that would be my template to follow although i didn't want to be that person i wanted to learn how to do what that person does you know get the connections and so forth so I, I kept coming up uh, every time I went to prison. I'd learned something, you know. I, so I was going the wrong direction, right? And when I finally realized that uh, I actually had the power to change my life, um, it was. It was a design process that, that took right. place. So, but but even before then, you were trying to redesign yourself as the best criminal possible. You were yeah. just going in the wrong direction. You, <laughs> so I think we all do it, whether whether we realize we're designing and making and, and creating our future or not. We are one way or the other. That's fantastic. I love that. So, the it's very rare in an interview that in the first like six minutes, I already am like, you know, already have a mind blown moment, but. That is a really key thing that we can all be using right now. You know, I, I'm someone who has led a very, very blessed existence. I have a, a really supportive family. I've I had a successful career that I was able to retire from. I've had a very, very fulfilling, I guess, post-career, political career, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I have an incredible wife who is, I don't know how... I got someone that beautiful and 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 smart and intelligent and everything. But so I'm incredibly blessed, but yet I still have struggles and things like that. And it's in those moments it's really important to remember that we can design even with whatever because when you design furniture, you don't wait for the problems that you have to solve with the furniture to be fixed. You have to work around whatever those issues are, those structural problems or those whatever problems to make that design for the furniture or the bread or the house or the car the tool or whatever it is you're designing you have to work around those issues that's why you're making that thing in the first place so instead of looking at yourself as being a subject or victim of the life around you you look at yourself as designing yourself as a solution that that's that's yeah. incredible right there well i want to give give you another example right as sure sure, sure. Uh, as a as a young a younger man in my 20s and, and addicted to drugs. Um, I remember being in Detroit, on the streets of Detroit, Michigan. I mean, that's a long story, but I was there and a long ways from home. Uh, but there really was no home for me. So yeah, uh, I remember being homeless, you know, and it was cold and there was nowhere to go. And I didn't have any resources or anything. And I didn't like it. You know, there was no way in hell that I was going to continue 
to live this way very long. It, there was nobody enabling me to be homeless. Um, right. I think, and, and this is this becomes maybe I don't want to go into politics, of course, but you know, if you look at uh, the the places that where you know seems like half the population of the downtown and all the area is homeless. It's like right. These people aren't going to redesign their lives until they have motivation to do so. And so, right, right. Where, so that's I'm just going to say that much. Uh, but if you if you go back to being in prison, for me, there everybody that I've seen transform, they do have to hit some sort of bottom. They have to hit some sort of point where that that propels them that they they can't go any further down or where they just can't take it anymore. And instead of taking themselves out, like I definitely thought about killing myself a lot. Okay. Instead of doing that, somehow you find within you the, the, the courage to move forward and start a new life and create a new life. And uh, you don't do it by being enabled to continue to live this shitty life that you've chosen. Right, right. So everyone has to reach whatever whatever their point of discomfort being so high that the fear or discomfort of change isn't as bad as the discomfort they're already experiencing so you might as well try something different yours was being in prison and realizing that you know your depression you could either continue to be depressed or and in prison or you could have that moment of realizing that maybe I'm the reason I'm here and, uh, and, and I can change things about myself so that I can get out of here and actually do something positive. Once that happens, you can now start to thrive ahead. Now, we, we've talked a lot about that, but once someone does reach that point, once someone does have those skills, there are barriers and things that are in place that make it where the world isn't their oyster and where things are harder. Just a couple of those things are things like um, there are in most states bans or at least great restrictions on the ability of convicted felons uh, to be able to get occupational licenses or or specific occupational licenses in some states, any occupational license. So even if they have a great uh, job idea for a, a business, they actually have to do it through someone else or work for someone else. Yeah. Um they uh, there are bans on ex felons getting certified for certain jobs uh, like EMTs or firefighters or anything with any kind of security or financial uh, fiduciary thing there, so they can't get into you know banking or they can't get into sales or a lot of other different things. Um, there are um, the big uh, rewards that they have to pay out, the big judgments that they have to pay out. So there are a lot of things that are in place. Do you think that any of those things or are, are, are bans on them being able to own firearms to be able to protect themselves? Even though the last time I checked, the Second Amendment says, I know you didn't want to get political, but it says the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. It didn't say unless you did something wrong at some point. Um, yeah. But uh, the ability to be able to vote. Do you think that any of these things are necessary or helpful to protect the public or... Are they really, for the most part, I mean, I'm not going to make you make a blanket statement, but for the most part, are a lot of these things kind of unnecessary or may, maybe you think they're necessary? I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on, on some of these restrictions on felons. Well, I'm a, I'm a, my favorite word is accountability, right? It's, if there's just one word in, in my life that matters, it's accountability. So, you know, ultimately everything you do, you got to, there's a, there's a reaction. There's something that's, that happens because of something you choose to do. Um, 
in my case, I kind of screwed up my life. <laughs> Even though I transformed my life and the way that I thought, I still have restrictions on me, you know. And I can, we could go into all that, but um, it's another story. And mm -hmm. the reality is that I can't own a gun. And boy, do I want to own a gun. You know what I mean? Uh, a criminal can own a gun. Maybe right. not legally. <laughs> someone, who's a, just so, someone who does not care what the law is can own a gun right now, but you trying to be a law-abiding citizen can't own one, exactly. That's right. So that's basically my deal on that. I think I, you and I probably agree on a lot of things when it comes to just government being uh, too big a part of our lives. But yeah. um, obviously that's a tough one because some people really shouldn't have guns. You know, and a lot of ex-criminals, if you got a felony, good chances, uh, if you haven't turned your way of thinking around, you we don't want you to have a gun. So, right. you know, it's, it's not a simple yes or no kind of thing. But I think there's got to maybe there's some sort of criteria that could change that or that could make it. Uh, we could say, well, this person has been out this long. They haven't done right. anything. You know, maybe they should be given a chance to own a firearm. But in our in today's world, I I can't imagine getting more permissive about firearms. So uh, I would anyway. Well, let, yeah, let's I, let the, I, the guns. I have a would, wife. Yeah, the guns. So. One of those things. I I, I think I was. A, a, a little more concerned about things like occupational licensing bans and bans on working in certain fields. Gun was just something I, I'm a libertarian. We're all well, about guns. So I, I just, I couldn't help but bring it up, but yeah, I, mean, I couldn't so help but go there. I couldn't help but go there because it's like on my mind, you know, but <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. Um, absolutely. I, as a person who has, has employed, I've seen my own self become a great employee than a, I would say a pretty dog, doggone good employer. Uh, and then uh, I've seen the people turn their lives around and become these amazing um, uh, people that you that that not only change their their you know their lives, but they have a big effect on the family and friends, the community and the, the business they work for. I mean, it's powerful to see lives change. So I my my thing is like. There's, again, I think it's kind of similar to what I mentioned with the guns. Um, the why not give people opportunities when they've earned them? Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think anything that can be that isn't governed by a law or a policy, by an insurance policy or anything like that, because that's another. Thing. For instance, uh, if you're a felon and somebody wants you to go to work or you want to go get a place to live well a lot of the reasons why they don't want you to come live there isn't necessarily just about about the rules but it's about bringing down the the bringing down the value of the neighborhood in a way you come in there and and you're scary you scare people you know and then it, it the managers in it puts a manager in a position uh it can put an employer you know so you have right, to think right. about all those things. So it's really about the good people that there is. There's so many good people. So how do you make it so that these good people get their chance? And uh, I think there's, there's ways that we can make it better.
I, I don't necessarily have all the answers to that. I'm more yeah. of a guy that's about changing the person. The that's individual person. And I think a lot of this yeah. is, and I keep hearing this from you, and, and I agree 100%. We need to look at people as individuals. You are, it, I, there is potentially someone who has your exact former criminal record. But yet, if you meet that person, that person might be willing to kill you right now for whatever's in your wallet, right? Just, hypothetically. Whereas you have that same yeah. record as that person, but look at what you've done outside. Look at who you are as an individual person. You both as, I, I mean, this is a hypothetical person. I don't even know if this person's real, but let's say there is this hypothetical person who has Dave's exact criminal record, uh, but instead of forming mm -hmm. Dave's killer bread and instead of redesigning his life, uh, he's still just... <clears throat> the killer guy or the, or the, the assaulting guy or the violent guy who will, who will take you down for whatever's in your wallet. Whereas you have completely redone your life. And so, and, and, and have helped so many countless others along the way, we should be judging people as individuals. And, and this even goes outside of whether someone's a criminal or not in our day-to-day -day lives. So much of the things that we look at stigma against felons, racism, bigotry, all of these things stem in from not looking at people as individuals, and which is both good and bad. It means looking at, at you and being able to say, wow, Dave is an incredible guy. And look at all the incredible things he's done. And if someone says to me, well, you know, Dave is a felon and he did this and that, and I'll, okay, he did that and look at what he's done now. That's even more incredible that he's done these things. But you could apply that in so many other ways. You could say, hey, uh, you know, Steve or Bill or whatever, Rebecca, whatever, that's a great person. Oh, well, but didn't, didn't you know that they're black or that they're Hispanic or that? Oh, yeah. okay, I don't care about that I'm either. I don't, you know. yeah, yeah, so it doesn't matter. Judging people as individuals, I think that's probably the biggest lesson here, right, is that we should be looking, judging people by their individual merit and who they are as a person as opposed to something that is intrinsic to them at that point, like, well, that's uh, MLK. Or their sexuality that, that, or their you're, quoting, you're paraphrasing Martin Luther King. So, basically, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah basically. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, it's absolutely true. It's, and when it comes back to, that's philosophical, but it comes back to uh, something concrete in, my, in the way I look at things. When we started um, hiring ex-felons at Dave's Killer Bread, uh, it was easy for me to kind of have like a basic criteria that I would use. It didn't mean we always used it because we were doing it really quickly. But uh, if you say wanted to help a person or you no, know, you basically when you hire someone, you want them to help you and you want to help them. I mean, that's the way it should be it, with no matter who you're hiring. Right. It should be a, a two way street where everybody's uh, uh, benefiting. But if you look at a person who's coming out of prison, um, I didn't like to hire somebody directly out of prison anyway. I needed, I figured they had to come out and, and get acclimated, sort of get a, get a feel for, uh, the struggle before, you right. know, you give them that job. But I also thought that that person, say the person did five years, just as an yeah. example, five years, um, what were they doing during that time? When they got in there, I understand maybe they didn't do anything for a long time to, to help right. themselves. Uh, but when that when that person comes to you and you're interviewing that, that guy or gal, um, you say, you're like, what programs did you do? You know, 
what can you tell me that you were up to for the last couple of years? It's pretty easy to see when someone's full of crap and when somebody's for real. <laughs> and uh, sometimes even someone who's for real is going to not turn out good. And You know what I mean? But you, you have to, I felt like we had to always uh, limit our chances for failure. By, again, by judging what they did as an individual, instead of just looking at their record, you can ask them, like, what did they do to actually try to better their situation while they were there? I, I, I love it. I love I love your philosophy and two major parts of it. I, probably many major parts, but the two ones that stick out the most are judging people as individuals and recognizing that it's the power resides in us to begin to, whatever extent we can, redesign our lives to adjust to the reality that we're in as much as possible um, so that we can thrive to whatever extent that we can. And everyone's going to be different. Their, their level of skills, their, uh, their, uh, just their natural talent, the, their, the level of how bad the situation they're in is, what state they live in. There's probably a, a myriad of different things that are going to uh, impact how well they do. But no matter how well they that they're they're whatever peak is possible for them, it's going to be immeasurably better for them to look at their life that way and do as well as they can, as opposed to saying, "Well, this is just how it's going to be, and I'm just in this situation." And that's something we can really all apply. And I just think that that's an incredible thing. I want to ask you one more question because this is a this is a a, a big uh, concern and issue of mine. And I always like to get I like to get everyone's thoughts on it, but I especially like to get the thoughts of people who come from the criminal justice system, people that were in prison on on my idea of how criminal justice could work differently. Um, This is I didn't come up with this idea. It's something called restorative justice, and it's been around for decades. And there's many different versions of how it can be applied. But here's my version of it. For example, if you if if I or you were someone if someone is is convicted of um, let's say um, uh, assault or theft uh, or shoplifting or or something like that so this is not this is a crime that has a victim someone has been damaged in some way either their property or or their their life or their their health or whatever has been hurt as a result especially if the person is a first time offender or has not had, you know, multiple offenses like this, instead of going directly to the punishment route of saying, okay, you go to prison for X number of years, period, boom, you're in there, giving them the option of saying, okay, instead of that, we're going to give you this opportunity to make the person whole that you, that you, that you harm. So if they're, um, you know, if you rob them, you have to give it back and probably pay some additional amount for the trouble of what you did. If you assaulted someone, you have to help take care of their expenses of their, you know, their, their health expenses or whatever of getting better. You have to go through, and this is, we're going back to the root cause. You have to go through, uh, mental health counseling, anger management, if it's needed, or if you're, you know, a kleptocrat, you're addicted to stealing, counseling for that you have to or if or if this if if in figuring out what's going on with you it's determined that you have like a, a an actual health problem you have to get treatment for that and these things are available to you um you, and once you have demonstrated that you have fixed whatever problem you caused to whatever extent possible and also fixed whatever root cause problem made you do that in the first place you're now free 
you don't have a criminal record, you aren't in, you didn't go to prison, you can now go and and live your life, hopefully now in a much better position, and whoever you victimize has been made whole. It costs much less than putting someone in a cage for years. It uh, potentially can greatly reduce the recidivism rate because people learn the first time they do something bad uh, that this was the wrong way to do it. The victim is is focused on as being the main concern, making sure that the person who was victimized from this um, is made whole. And we all benefit from having that many fewer people who are, you know, have been working through the prison system, learning how to become harder and harder criminals to be able to survive in there, and then eventually coming out as as old, hardened criminals who, you know, have, have forgotten what humanity is like. Um, it's not a perfect system. I think it would also require that the person isn't judged to be an immediate danger to society. If it's a serial killer or something like that, obviously, you know, uh, maybe they can get mental health help in, in prison, but they're, they're not going to, we aren't going to give them one more chance not to be a serial killer. But, you know, assault, uh, it sounds like, a, uh, for example, it sounds like a lot of the things you did, potentially at that initial time, if someone had, instead of putting you in a cage, had said, why did you do this? Let's make sure that you fix the victim. Let's fix what caused this to happen. And now you can go live your life. What do you do? You think that's something that could potentially work in in certain situations where where the person's not in immediate danger? I do. Yeah, I think I I mean, to me, again, it comes back to accountability. How do we make sure that a person feels like this is something that I can't continue to do. This is going to get me in more trouble next time. Right. Is, is this person capable of uh, of doing that? You know, or, or is he going to play the system? You know, and, right. and I it, it it is a it's a I think it's a tough question. It was a tough answer. Um, I think uh, this you, you could spend a lot of time on this question, uh, coming up with the right. Uh, with with the answer as to what crimes, what levels of crimes, of what kinds yeah. of person. Uh, but I do think that anytime you can avoid sending someone to prison, um, it makes sense unless unless they deserve to be sent there. And I, I right. do have a belief that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to look back on my case, okay? I'll okay. do it that way because that's the best thing I can do. Um, okay that I know of. I, if I went, I was never ready to change until I was. And cause I would just, but, but see, I don't know, did that, would that medication that helped me stop right. looking at things in such a way, uh, would, would that have worked on me when I was 17? You know, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't right. know. So the answer is not simple. Um, but that medication was a big factor and guess what else? that drafting program was a big answer. So I think that if you, if you could add that to it, you get what I'm saying, add those uh, elements to what you're talking about, make sure there's some actual um, rehabilitation slash education kind of offer, operate. I think that could be very meaningful. And think about how how many crimes it could it could. Uh, stop from happening and exactly how, how much better that person's life could be and their whole family see every every time a person like me or any any criminal or whatever uh does what they do goes that direction they hurt so many people and they hurt society exactly. so yeah uh i 
I really do believe that when you say restorative justice, I think it has to have a rehabilitation factor um, that not is not just a not just not just a formality, but something exciting, something that changes their way of looking at things. Yeah, yeah. Actual restoration, not just restoring the victim, not just getting them to sign a thing and say, yes, I went to X number of hours of training, but actually giving giving them the tools to determine what caused it to happen. And then also, yeah, I mean, if 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 medications needed, medications needed. If therapy and counseling's needed, therapy and counseling's needed. And I, I'm already hearing the people that are going to be commenting on this saying, but what's this going to cost the taxpayer? A lot less than putting them in prison. Like a yeah, lot over less. Time. Not, over time, uh, even in that yeah. moment, it costs less. But yeah. but over time, it's not even comparable, right? But people people need to understand that uh, that rehabilitative factor that isn't really part in, unless you say, well, because right now, for instance, there is a lot of construction opportunity, and that's why constructing right. hope is so powerful. One of the right. reasons why constructing hope is so powerful. You they get out of this, they go through this training program. Honestly, there's just not enough training programs like this, and there's not enough opportunities. You, but you take a person that's their first time down, whatever, instead of sending them to prison, send them to this thing. Yeah. Uh, a lot of a lot of them aren't going to make it through probably, but those ones end up going. They should should go to prison. They'll go know? to jail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If they can't make yeah. it through the program, if they're if they're not willing to make that change, okay, great. I guess you have to go to jail because it means that if we let you out, you're going to just hurt people. But if you're willing to do the hard work, and it is going to be hard, you're going to have to learn to do something. You're going to have to fix your own issues that led you to do that. You're going to have to make whatever changes are needed, and you're going to have to uh, you're going to have to restore the person that you victimized because they're the number one concern in that moment is is the the person that you already victimized, right? If you're not willing to do any of those things off to jail you go you know we, we gave you yeah. a chance it, apparently you want to live in a cage not my problem at that point right so so that would always be there you know that that's always there but you know I, I it sounds like again and like you said accountability are you going to do the hard work you are not a victim you are you are someone who hurt someone and yeah. so even if you're a victim of something else in this moment there's a victim yeah. of what you did and so you People have to fix to. that go ahead Sorry, people need to realize, I, I realized, when I realized I had that power, see, the yeah. power of accountability, mm -hmm. the power to, to make my next, to, to create my life, uh, yeah. and, you know, the power to have courage to, to make mistakes and have people, you know, offend me or whatever, do things to me that I didn't like, and not be a victim, not feel like a victim, because, hey, it's how I react to them that's going to make a huge difference, a big difference. And uh, I've done that with all my life since I had that moment. And even when I have failures, I mean, and I, I've had some big doozies, I come out of it okay because uh, I eventually come out of it. I remember in 2013, I, I had a fall from grace after great success with Dave's Killer Bread. I had started drinking. I was speaking, I was doing all kinds of things, but I was drinking. I eventually got to where I was drinking too much. Went to treatment. Long story short, that didn't work. Uh, but I wasn't doing crime again. I just was drinking. And whose fault was drinking, it? Right? It was mine. You know what I mean? Right. So uh, I knew that. But I eventually quit drinking. And all the pressures of being an entrepreneur in the situation I was in with investors, uh, people 
answering to people, all the things that were going on. Yep, yep, yep. And, and then uh, I, again, I I can't blame anything, but I'm I'm saying there's there were problems that I was not reacting well to, and finally, um, I long story short, I ended up smashing into three cop cars one night. No criminal intent, believe it or not, but it was just an ugly situation. Well. Two or three weeks later, I read an article about myself in a local magazine, local newspaper, saying, uh, they were talking about, it was the first really negative press I'd ever seen about myself, because I was always doing good stuff, you know? And I saw this, uh, this, this stuff, and I was just like, oh my God, I let so many people down, you know? Here I have been yeah. preaching, and I don't preach, but telling people about right. about things that had, that had changed my life and how I had overcome and all these different things. And all of a sudden I'm in this, I hit this depression I, that, that I hadn't experienced. I'd never experienced before. It was a kind of depression where you couldn't move. And I mean, you just couldn't move. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, all the things I've been talking about, all the things that I've learned, and, and then I tell people are the ways that you change your life. All of a sudden, they didn't mean anything to me anymore. I, I could not, I couldn't put them to work. I was right. so down. But I got to say, time went by. I got a little better, a little better. And then I was yeah. able to put those things back to work again. You mean, awesome. so, so those principles matter. It's that accountability that matters. Yeah. And it goes to show... This is a constant thing. It's not the, a fairy tale where you fix the problem and it, it went away. You, in the yeah. midst of being Dave of Dave's Killer Bread, you screwed up. And yeah. rather than say, well, this is, you know, this is society's fault. They've set me up to be a hero, blah, 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 blah. You realized I screwed up. I had a choice not to screw up, did it anyway. And look at the, look at the harm that I've caused. Look at the, uh, and not just the, the the police cars that you hit, but look at the people that were looking up to me who now have been let down. I have to fix this. Holding yourself accountable. It's a, it's an incredible story. You, first of all, your level of self-accountability is on a completely different level. I just want to say that. Um, you're, you're an incredible guy, man. I want people to understand. Thank you. I want people to understand how powerful that is and how great I feel just you know, having learned that great secret. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? That's so it's it's deal. easy for me to talk about it and pass it on to others because I've experienced it and and more than once, you know, like yeah. when I had in 2013, it was the second time and it was, if anything, just as hard as the first. It was different, but yeah. it, but because I had done it before, made overcome before, I knew I could do it again. It just I, I knew intellectually I could do it again, but it took me a long time to feel it. I don't I don't even know how to end this interview. You are this is so, so what you're saying is so powerful because it's not just I did this bad thing, but I got past it and you can too. You're like really getting into the nuts and you can too, but here's what you have to do. It's 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 an incredible story. So Dave, you are I'm sure I'm not the first first person to tell you this. You are beyond inspiring. You have me excited to go do all the other stuff I have to do today and to and to hold myself accountable for it. And I, I'm sure everyone else watching this, when they wake up tomorrow, they're gonna they're gonna be just as excited about this. Um before I let you go, I wanna give you a chance to give your your last word. 
What is it that you feel like we haven't had a chance to tell people that you really think it's important to tell people? How can people help with what you're doing right now? How can they be, get out and get involved? Pretty much anything you feel like you needs to be said to, to my audience and to, and to me. Dave Dahl, the floor is yours. Thanks, Mike. I, uh, I, I can say, you know, wrap it up. Don't be a victim, you know, overcome victim mentality. That's that's one step. But you, the only way to do that is by replacing it with accountability, with understanding that you are the person who can change your life. Nobody else is you can't depend on the government or somebody else to change your life. You got to do it right. That's what I did. And as far as organizations that can help and, and ideas that can help. Uh, I think Spike and I got to a really good point when we were talking about adding to restorative justice, adding an organization like Constructing Hope, but creating yeah. more organizations and, and empowering these organizations to do what they do. Constructing Hope here in Portland, Oregon, uh, has a great track record of putting pe- of training people in 10 weeks and and then putting them to work in a meaningful job. Not, not McDonald's, I mean, but it's it's all honorable, but you know, you got to, most people want to get past the McDonald's thing. And so I say, you know, for me, learning a trade was the most powerful thing that happened in my life. So I want to see a lot more people do that. And, um, please visit constructinghope.org. Contact them, uh, but and what they and I would both like to see is more organizations like this across the country making a difference. And uh, they really do make a difference. So I'm excited about this, this opportunity to talk about it. Absolutely, man. And thank you for coming on. Uh, constructinghope.org is the organization. Uh, and I, I tell people this all the time. When you say to yourself, hey, this group is great. I wish we had one in my area. You can probably help to create one by finding people with those same skills and those same mindsets in your area and helping to put together an organization or at least starting that thread. You know, my my catchphrase is you are the power. You know, you have the ability. Uh, you can often be that catalyst to make that that initial change. Um, I think that's just incredible, man. Uh, constructinghope.org. Go to that. See what they're all about. Go help them. Go buy some Dave's Killer Bread. If you if you can have bread, I, I'm glu- I'm uh, gluten intolerant, so I can't have bread. But if you aren't gluten intolerant and aren't, uh, make sure you can, you know you can have all the ingredients in it. Go Dave's Killer Bread. It's 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 fantastic. My wife, it's it is my wife's favorite bread. Um, it was briefly my favorite bread until I couldn't eat it anymore. So go buy some of that. Um, Dave Dahl, you're amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Thank you, Spike. It's it's a really it's really an honor to talk to you. Thank you, man. What did I tell you? I told you, I said, this was the most inspired. It was just incredible. The idea of designing your life, seeing your life as a tool rather than a subject, that it's your life is the thing that can get around what's going on and, and be able to thrive despite it, as opposed to just having things imposed upon you the uh, insistence on judging people as individuals, even in the midst of things that, you know, any person would be more than justified in, uh, you know, 
lumping a lot of people together and saying, oh, you know, these people don't care about me. And uh, I, I, I have nothing but good things to say about Dave Dahl. Um, go to constructinghope.org. That's the organization. Uh, it's in the Portland area that Dave was talking about. I'm going to be reaching out to the people there at Constructing Hope, see if maybe I can get some of them on the show. More importantly, see if I can talk to them about what it is they're doing, how it works, and if we can find other people in other areas or if they know other people in other areas who are doing the same thing. I think there's some incredible potential for that as well. Um, go to Dave's website is davedahl, D-A-V-E-D-A-H-L-360.com. Uh, that's got his YouTube channel on it and a bunch of other stuff. Um, I'm a fan. I love Dave Dahl. I think he's great. Um, and, uh, I plan to keep in touch with him because I, I want to work with him on helping uh, not just, you know, again, I thought this would be, you know, the previously convicted, how can we help convicted felons? But the reality is what he was talking about. Yeah, it's, it's good for convicted felons. This is good for anyone. This is good for anyone. Anyway, uh, I, uh, I have to jump on the next thing, so we're going to be wrapping things up. But let me tell you about uh, what's coming up. Thank you for watching this incredible episode of My Fellow Americans. Tomorrow, uh, on Thursday, is uh, the writer's block with Matt Wright, and his guest is Jonathan Reels, who is, as we talked about earlier, he's running for Congress. And he is, uh, he's not a real candidate uh, yet, but if you go to jonathan.cash and make donations, once he raises $5,000, he'll be a real boy. And uh, anyway, he's going to be talking on tomorrow night at 8 with Matt Wright on the Writer's Block right here on Muddy Waters Media. Uh, on Friday, check me out at 9.30 on Liberty Late Night with Dave and Mary. Yep, Dave and Mary. Uh, and then have a great Independence Day weekend. Shoot off the fireworks, eat the grilled meat, do whatever it is you do for 4th of July. Uh, I'm going to be enjoying the fact that I'm not going anywhere <laughs> that weekend. Uh, it's first weekend off. Um, also, I believe uh, on Sunday at 3 p.m. is uh, the next episode of Cajun and Eskimo from Bayou to Igloo. Or Bayou to Igloo, whatever it's called. Um, that's a great show. Uh, be sure to check that out. And then, yeah. Then uh, at uh, then join us next Tuesday at 8 p.m. for uh, the Muddy Waters of Freedom, where Matt Wright and I parse through the week's events like the sweet little cherubs that we are. And then check me out next Wednesday. This is breaking news. Check me out next Wednesday at 8 on Kennedy on Fox Business. Um, I don't even know what we're talking about yet, but I will be on Kennedy. And then after that, I'll be on, oh, we may have to reschedule my show. Because after that, I'm on Fight for Liberty with David Fight. So <laughs> we may have to do my show another day. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, and then next weekend, uh, join me and Matt and Cajun in, uh, in Tunica, Mississippi at the Horseshoe Resort and Casino for the Breaking Boundaries for Liberty event in Mississippi. So it's an action-packed week, uh, but we will see you right back here very soon. Tomorrow night, the writer's block. Uh, I will see you there. And... Um, Folks, thanks again for, for tuning into this. This was a really, really cool episode. I think we all learned a lot of really great stuff. And um, I love y'all, and I will talk to you soon. I'm Spike Cohen, and you are the power. God bless, guys.
my skin, my friend. In reality, you are my kin. Though I view the world through another's iris. If you slide in my kicks, it might fit. We might just unite and come together, become hybrid. At the least, slightly like-minded. Indeed, the life I've lived brings light to kindness. All you need is a sign. Put a cease to the crimes. Put an ease to the minds like mine. Sometimes darkness is all I find. You know what they say about an eye for an eye in a time with the blind lead the blind. Who am I to deny when cry when a loved one dies? I recognize that body outside with a hole in the body that was alive. Now they find it with chalk outline. Find out how, but you never know why. It ain't even make it to the news at nine. It ain't even make it to the news at nine. That's my sister, mother, father, brother, son. That's one of mine. All these tears, I close my eyes. Open up to only find I'm in line. There's a pointless murder happening all the time. Either lose your life or mine. Caught up in the first design. That ain't how it started. Nah, how are we supposed to survive? There's a war going on outside. Who would want to raise a child? Whom this home is flashing by? Now you have to say goodbye when you watch them on the news and five. Don't tell me how. Tell me why.